You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a couple weeks since the last episode. I've been very, very busy on the music side of things. Some of you may have already heard this, but if you haven't, I should let you know my band, Bad Wolves, just announced some pretty big news. Uh, First of which, we signed a record deal with a label called Eleven Seven. And you might know them from bands like Papa Roach and Nothing More, Hell Yeah, In Flames, 6AM, Motley Crue. So it's a, it's a pretty big deal, guys. I'm uh, very, very excited. We also announced that our manager uh, is none other than Mr. Zoltan Bathory from the band Five Finger Death Punch. Uh, so yeah, uh, a lot of this stuff has been brewing for the last few months, but obviously on our end has been a bit on the secretive side of things because that's just how it is in the music business and many other businesses. We kind of let it out when it's, when it's ready. So all that stuff came out this week and then the band also put out a new song, a lyric video done by friend of the show, Nick Hippa from Azalea Dying and Woven War. Uh, he did the lyric video, but it's for a song called A Toast to the Ghost. I'm sorry, it's just Toast to the Ghost, all right? Let me get it right there. But um, if you guys haven't heard that, I'm going to play that right now. So check out this new song from my band, Brandly New Signed Band, Bad Wolves.
So that was Toast to Ghost from my band, Bad Wolves. I hope you guys enjoyed that. People have been asking when the album is coming out. Uh, I do not have an exact date, but I can tell you it will be first quarter of 2018. And the band does have a tour lined up and some pretty big shows, both of which I also can't announce just yet. But I was able to announce all that other stuff, which is is really exciting for me because I haven't, you know, you guys know I've been doing other musical projects, playing with other bands. I have my other band, Vegas Nerve, but this is the first thing I've done really since God forbid that, uh, you know, has label attached to it, management, and more than likely next year is going to be really, really busy. And yeah, it's uh, it's kind of daunting, but also extremely, extremely exciting. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me, and I, I put a post similar to what I'm about to say on social media, but I, I, I thought it was worth repeating here, where a lot of people will hit me up and say, you know, Doc, you've... Uh, you know, congratulations, all this stuff is happening, all the success, and, you know, you really deserve it, you really earned it, and uh, and maybe I can make a delineation between deserve and earn, but this is truly how I feel. I, I don't feel like I deserve anything, um, and it doesn't mean, you know, and I think you can kind of make that distinction between deserve and earn, uh, because I feel like... Um, there's so many talented people out there, there's a lot of people that work really, really hard, and still they might not get the same opportunities I've gotten. And there are also people who are less talented than me and don't work as hard, who have gotten better opportunities. And I just don't think you can, you know, I, I try not to look in at the world in, in those terms because I think it, it, you know, if something bad happens, you know, if I, let's say I have some crippling injury or, or someone in my family passes away or, or whatever, just you know, I get fired from from some opportunity that I really like, and then do I deserve that? You know, do I only deserve the good things because I try hard and I have a certain amount of talent? So I, th- I think it's a, a poor way to look at the world in terms of what people deserve and what I deserve. Um, it's not something I really like to do, and and I, and I said this in the uh, in the post, and I'll say it here. You know. Uh, Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. Um, you know, some little kid doesn't do they deserve get you know catching a stray bullet <laughs> that they you know that they in a, a situation they had nothing to do with, or or vice versa. Does someone deserve to win the lottery? I don't, I don't, I don't think about the world in those terms. And 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 with that, I I do appreciate everyone reaching out and congratulating. I like and so when people do say it, don't, don't feel like I'm begrudging you or. Um, angry at at the sentiment i'm definitely not um i just i just think that i wanted to give you guys a little bit of a view into my philosophy on what deserve actually means so with that said i'm going to get into my conversation with uh mr chris oj ojeda from the band byzantine uh he's really one of the true true good people in uh, the heavy metal community. I've known him for a long time. I think Byzantine is one of those bands that is super, super underrated and probably um, underexposed in the grand scheme. But if you've ever seen them live, you're any, if you ever checked out any of their records, I think their their skill and uh, ability and songwriting and all that all that good stuff is, is super apparent. So I'm really glad I could, I could have OJ on the show. So enjoy this, this conversation of mine with 
Mr. Chris Ojeda from the band Byzantine. So Mr. OJ. Mr. Coyle. I guess around uh, 1991, things got a little weird for that name, huh? <laughs> yes, it did. You know, not, I, that's not right how they, how they did you like that. You know, I just heard that joke yesterday in Santa Ana, and um, it's been a while since we've done any touring, probably about a year and two months, so I forgot about that joke <laughs> well, there's been and like, how stale it is. Well, there's been reunited OJ fervor. You know, you had the documentary that won the Oscar, you had the miniseries, then he got out of prison, so it's just, yeah. it, it, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not right. You know? it, it keeps coming. Like, um, it, like your name was Harvey in the past week, you know, it's just, yeah, it's been, you know, over the past few weeks. You know, I know. It's a little, it's a little rough. I, I guess I could have a, a worse nickname, <laughs> like Pol Pot. What's, 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 what's your real name? Chris. Chris. I always forget that. I just yeah. don't use OJ. It's uh, oh, Chris, Chris Ojeda. Chris Ojeda. Okay. Yeah. Well, I grew up, uh, everybody called us Ojeda <laughs> because I live in Southern West Virginia and Jay's... <laughs> Don't yeah. sound like H's there. Got to see that hard J. Yeah. But, and yeah, I, you know, I look lily white. So everybody was just like, okay, it's Chris Ojeda. You know, but my grandfather is from Guadalajara, Mexico. And my dad, you know, he spoke Spanish up until he was like four. Yeah. And then when they came to West Virginia it, for the coal, coal fields to work, you know, they kind of bastardized our name and changed it. So... We kind of just went with it, but my my people, he rolls over in his grave every time someone calls me Ojeda. So <laughs> when I'm back home, I tell everybody I'm Ojeda because they don't. I don't want them to think I'm fancy. But right. when I leave West Virginia or leave Southern West Virginia, I say it correctly. That doesn't make you fancy. Come on. I know. You can't. Well, let's say that. That's the uh, the silent bigotry of low expectations. <laughs> yeah. You have to think better of your people. Exactly. I would say. Yeah. I would say. Well, f- welcome to the X Man. Thank you. And you, I guess, you would be characterized as an ex X Man. How's that? Didn't the band break up? We did. So that you're an ex X Man. I am an ex. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now Are you, you putting it together. You're right. I got it. Okay. And I was the one who, pretty much, was the catalyst. I broke the band up. So. Well, so sometimes when I'm doing the show, I do research, and sometimes I I don't do a lot of research. It really depends how I'm, how I'm feeling. Right. To be honest. And so for this, so I've a lot of times you have bands that you're like you're 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 a fan of, you're you're friends with, and you kind of track their career and you kind of see where things are going. But sometimes, you know, you just. You don't you don't realize until you go and actually see what what has happened and and so a lot of stuff I knew but a lot of stuff I'm researching I'm like oh I, oh I guess this, oh, I, oh I remember yeah. that yeah. and th- and 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 this happened so yeah I, and I was like did they actually break up and I was like oh yeah they actually did break up dude is that Anson Mount who that is Anson Mount who's that it's the actor for Hell on Wheels okay guys so just just for reference we're in Los Angeles right. California we're, yeah we're on the Sunset Strip. And famous people just tend to show up, all right? It's just how it is, all right? This is an entertainment town. Right. And the guy that I don't even know, uh, the Hell on Wheels, I guess that show, is an AMC show, right? It is. Actually, it's not Hell on... Uh, what? It's the... Hell in High Water? Uh, no. Uh, man, I'm going to go back and, and kick myself in the butt when I listen to this. But I, I've watched all the shows that he's in, and me and my girlfriend are big fans. 
I've seen a lot of his movies. He's a very good actor. All right, so and he I'll, just walked by. You want, so. you want me to give you an LA tip? Okay. All right, cool. It's an LA cool guy tip. Yeah. All right. You see someone who's like famous, whatever, kind of famous. Yeah. You know, and you just just ignore that. Just ignore. It. And no, don't even tell. <clears throat> don't even like give your friend a little elbow rub. Like, yo, right. It's that guy from that thing. Just be like, just just like act like you know what. <laughs> I, you know, ain't, ain't nothing special. Well, I can tell you, Doc, my girlfriend, she's going <laughs> to listen to this and be like, that was not Anson Mount because I know you. We, When we're in New York, we'll walk around and I'll be like, oh, that's that girl from Kimmy Schmidt. And she's like, no, it's not. Everybody I see, they look like someone else, okay, like so that a might celebrity not, facial recognition. That might not have been him. That probably wasn't him. Oh, that guy looked pretty fancy. He was wearing he a suit. put together. Yeah, it was a serious situation. I think it was him, though. All right, so let's. I want to talk about this famous guy right here so yeah. you guys are on tour with uh sacred reich yes you have a record out yes new record the cicada tree this is what your fifth record this is our sixth sixth record. record okay you guys have done a lot of stuff you've been around a long time i remember the first time i ever saw you was at the birdshell nightclub opening for lamb of god um who else was on that show that was we played the Birchill. Uh, we were the opener, and we played with Candiria, E Town Concrete, and Lamb of God. That's a fucking. That is like probably one of the greatest shows anyone could ever play in Jersey. Yeah, it that was, shit sold out. It sold out. I remember meeting you guys in the parking lot, and I was, you know, I was pretty amped about that. And then <laughs> they had a second stage, yeah. over there. And at the same time we were playing, there was another band on the other side playing called Gizmachi, yep. who ended up getting signed to the uh, Sean Crahan's P Poughkeepsie, New York. Yep. And now um, Gizmachi's guitar player is our engineer who's recorded our last three albums, Jay Hannon. Oh, shit. Yeah. Did, so, he, who, did he mix the records too? He, yeah, he mixed them and he engineered all of them. That, like, um, especially the last two yes. sound fucking great. Well, the one before that, we were just getting our bearings and working together. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have a lot of money, a lot of time. Uh, he did as much as he could. But the last two, we started dialing it in. You know, when you work with somebody more than once, you start filling out. And yeah. he was able to tell us how he wanted it at yeah. that point. So, yeah, I think it, it's weird because I remember that show and their singer was over there cussing us. Like, don't listen to that whack-ass shit. Get over here and listen to us. Wow. Yeah, and then we end up... We end up going on tour with him a year later, and he apologized. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I, I didn't know y'all, you guys yeah. were cool. I didn't know you were nice. I, I, th I thought because you were in the big room, you were assholes. <laughs> that's how it is sometimes. That's that's more of a like a hip. Usually, like metal people, we're all like, we're friends with everybody. I guess some people are shit talkers and haters. Yes. I don't know. I don't. I don't get into all that. Like, I know. Do you, you ever get caught between a beef? Like, you'll you'll talk to someone from some band, and they'll tell you how about man, man, we just tore those man. Fuck them, man. And fuck that up, your big nose, and you just have to. And you're friends with the other band, so yeah. you just have to, have to kind of like nod. Like, yeah, yeah. You have to detour somehow. Now here's what I say. I'm like, they cool to me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I mean, that's a good that's a good blocker right there. So you know, I've I've been I've been in a handful though. Because I mean, here's the thing, you know, some people don't like me. That's fine. But for the most part, even if you don't like me, I'm not really I'm not mad at you. Right. You know? That's fine. That's your thing. Right. I haven't met really a lot of people that don't like you. You're you're everybody's like, everybody I've talked to. Like I've met Doc. He's he's cool as shit. I'm sure so. someone's like, yo, that motherfucker got a shiny ass face. <laughs> he talks too much. Yeah. All right. He comes to our dressing room and takes all the snacks and the fucking. <laughs> All the beverages. Are you the eater of snacks? 
I love a snack. Yeah. I'm a snack enthusiast. Well, so I said I'm, I a, I'm a donut connoisseur and a <laughs> snack enthusiast. People back home, uh, you know, in our area, they know we're friends, so they won't they won't shit talk in okay. front of me. So it's a no no. So so that show, I think that was 2001. No, it was Two? it was later, like, way later. It was like oh three. We hadn't released our first album on Prosthetic yet, uh, so it was 2003. At, at that time, um, we had caught Chris Adler's ear, yeah, and we only had demos. And uh, he said, "So how did you how did you get in touch with Chris Adler?" Okay, um, we we formed the band in the summer of 2000, and immediately just started writing uh, songs and putting demos together. We only had a drum machine. Uh, there wasn't a lot of drummers back home that were fitting the vibe of what yeah. we wanted. So we were, you know, just recording a couple of songs and releasing it, a couple of songs and releasing it. I decided to contact uh, four bands through MySpace and send them the demo. And I which, sent, which four bands? I sent it to uh, Chimera, mm -hmm. Kill Switch Engage, Shadows Fall, and Lamb of God. And the one that I thought I shouldn't send it to was Lamb because they had uh, released... Uh, New American Gospel, and it was so brutal and raw. I was like, they're they're gonna hate our shit. Why? They were, well, I don't I don't understand that. Just because they, you know, it was so scary, and we were a little light in the pants at that time. Really? That's yeah. your wow. Yeah, I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't hear that. Yeah. Well, some of the some of the demoed songs that didn't make it to the next stuff, you know, oh, were a little, little lighter. Oh, okay. More akin to what we do now. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so a couple months went by, and Chris Adler got a hold of us and he's like hey i got the demo you know and um also our um website administrator was good friends with their street team guy mm -hmm. a guy named david allen so yep. we had that shout, extra, out, shout out to david, shout out to david. so we had that extra connection so chris said hey uh why don't you guys just come out and do some regional shows with us he was like we're getting ready to release a new album called the uh, as the palaces burn we need an opener so we uh, went out just on a couple short weekends with him, we did, and we had just hired Matt Wolf as our drummer. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, it was very formative in our career. We were going out and playing with Lamb of God, and then we would go, and they'd be like, oh, okay, you're playing with the Red Chord and Nora, yeah. and these That's bands. A it's a statement that you're kind of, you're... It's like getting into the big leagues. You're, yes. you're stepping your foot in that door. Yes. So we would go out on a long weekend and go play uh, Lupo's or, uh, you know. On uh, good shows. Crocodile Rock on great shows. And we were getting our asses handed to us every <laughs> night. It was embarrassing. It's great, though, right? Because it, it, that, that's the thing is I think when you're stuck in your local kind of bubble. Yeah. And you're in, in many ways, you're, <laughs> you're at beholden to however high the talent level is in your kind of what you can see because especially yes. previous to when like the internet age was so pervasive and you you could kind of see the the world stage you were really beholden to what your environment was so when you first got to play with really good bands yes. you were like oh oh I see what's going on here like we had that experience when we opened for in flames right uh, in in like 99 and we were like really eye opening yeah, it was like we, you know, we because we thought we were getting good. We're like, yeah, because it was right right when we were about to sign a record deal. Yeah, and we were like feeling ourselves, and we saw in flames, and we're like, oh, back to the drawing. 
you know so <laughs> we got we got uh, a good dose of that for a while but it's great though because you're like oh okay and it, it inspires you yeah it showed us that next plateau that we had to strive for and it was very far off in the distance and we knew that <laughs> but i thought you guys were fucking great i appreciate when, that you know the first time i saw you, i was really impressed like wow this band's fucking badass. thank you I, I i i knew back then that we had something i just didn't know if that lineup or uh, you know that we could actually turn it into what you know when I would see you guys play and and some of the other bands I didn't know if we could turn it into that mm -hmm. but it, it you know ultimately we end up doing it but it took me a long time yeah I mean yeah. and and that's I I think it's very tough to skip steps like yeah. I've seen certain bands and sometimes you know I'll Usually I wouldn't name names, but I'll, I'll give an example just, you know, because I'm friends with these guys and I think ultimately it's a, it's a compliment. Like I look at a band like Azalee Dying. Right. Who, when I think when they came out, they got big, like like super quick. Like that first record just really, you know, it kind of just yes. started going and it took off. And I didn't, and I felt like, you know, it took them a record or two to kind of become mm -hmm. the band that people like people just sometimes you get big and then you have to kind of grow into the shoes yeah um and it's not that they weren't good but it's like you know sometimes you're just not refined even go back like you ever watching those old footage of machine head from the first record oh yeah and yeah. like they're a little sloppy and yeah. the guitar is kind of out of tune and the and they're the, like tempos are off the charts yeah and, yeah and and but the record was so good and they mm -hmm. they just kind of took off and they had to grow into the band that they would ultimately become but for bands like you guys bands like us where we didn't blow up right away we kind of got to grow with yes. the status of the band yes in a way i think it was extremely beneficial um i would have rather learned those experiences early in my 20s and be able to build off of them then have been you know come right out of the gate with a lot of success and then have to figure out how to become a business later yeah so yeah. so you guys so through the kind of adler connection and doing these shows is that what got the attention of ej it was uh, yeah chris chris uh was listening to two bands at that point and he was talking to ej uh, he was like you know there's these two bands i'm listening to and they're kind of undiscovered now. One of them is Byzantine, and then there's a French band called Gojira. So he told EJ about them. Mm -hmm. I don't, the Gojira thing didn't work out. You know, I think they signed with someone else and blew the fuck up. I'm trying to remember who was they... He want, no. Um, it wasn't Prosthetic, the first couple of No, records? but uh, he, Prosthetic ends up putting out one of the later albums. Okay, okay. But not, not the first two. Yeah, because they were... I think they might have actually been dealing with a European label. They were. And then it got out. You had to get like an import or some right, some shit like that. Well, that that tells us our, our friend Chris Adler has a has a very good ear. He's got a really good barometer <laughs> because, for yeah, what's going on. Well, that was even a, a few years before Gojira even got on my radar. Like I started getting them like around like oh five oh six. Yeah, was I? They kind of and I was like, holy shit. Yeah, he gave us a copy of their first album, and it scared us. You know, we was listening to it <laughs> driving around, going, oh my god, this is so tribal, and and just scared you know, us yeah just scary um but so we had recorded our first album with uh matt wolf as a demo and we gave it to ej and he said okay i think the songs are good re-record the whole thing again and give it back to us with a better production so that is ultimately what became the fundamental component which was what we toured on in 2004 mm -hmm. and that was the beginning of the end <laughs> what do you mean the beginning of the end? It took three albums for us to, you know, we had a three album deal with uh, Prosthetic and it wasn't a very good relationship at all. Why? 
Um, I don't know if we knew how to deal with somebody like EJ, mm-hmm. who was very uh, business-minded. You know, okay. Sound scans, what are you guys doing? Yeah. We were unprofessional, 20-year-olds who were who was we were entrenched in trying to figure out how to pay our bills and keep our girlfriends yeah, and we're, wives we're, happy. Were you guys well, I mean, if you're in a band, you don't you just girlfriend, I'll, I'll see yeah. you later. You don't you don't get to be happy. That's right. how this works. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to my, my ex girlfriends. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, and my current girlfriend if I if I've uh, offended anyone. Um were were you guys at this point attempting to do the band full time or trying to get on that on that level or were you kind of doing this bounce back where you were essentially uh working jobs and then touring when you could yes uh we were which one the former the, or the latter the latter okay. we was doing that but we were working towards trying to become a full-time band but yeah at that point we were basically playing for nothing yeah you guys i i, I feel like this is just 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 my my opinion, and right. you know you can you can kind of give me your thoughts on whether you think it's accurate or not. But in many ways, to me, you guys are a new wave of American heavy metal band. Yes, you know that sound, and I feel like, but you came to prominence or really got on the scene in a time when a lot of us other bands had already been established, mm-hmm. and then the scene started to change. So you didn't really get to benefit from the the spike right. in the way that we did or all that remains did and yeah and really the last couple bands that got in kind of in that uh got a bump from that was like trivium mm-hmm. or maybe even bands like bury your dead or something like that that kind of yeah got on the on the on the tail end or maybe like black dahlia had kind of put that that mix right um so it, it kind of suffered where all of a sudden the scene started to change yeah and then you're trying to like where do we fit in what's going on and and the, the Lamb of Gods and Kill Switches, they're so big yeah. that now it's, if you're not selling X amount of records, then you can't even get on that tour, even if they are your buddies. True. You know, yeah. it's like like when we, so we brought, God forbid, brought Bizium on, Bizium. 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 Bizantino tour. <laughs> I, see, I should have had more coffee. That's the problem. Oh, <laughs> uh, we, we brought you guys on, a, on our headline tour in 2007, and we literally had to fight with our agent because they were of the mind that, oh, it's not, you're not hot like this band, yeah, or this yeah. band has this, you know, and we, we had to fight to get you guys just on half the tour. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I know at that point we didn't have much street heat. and uh, But you guys I, killed it. I, I, thank you. Thank you. I, I really have fond memories of that tour, even though I know that was kind of at the end of... It was like but, ha- it was like half the tour, but it, I thought that tour actually did pretty well. Yeah, and it was a really like if someone wanted to see that tour now, it would be great because it was Go Tour, you guys, us, and Arsis and Nimic. Yeah, uh, it was a really eclectic. Yeah, and then package. The, f- the first half of the tour we had the Human Abstract. Yes, in your guys in your guys. Spot. They did the West Coast and we did the East Coast. Yeah, well, lake. well, that was a time <clears throat> when we were kind of. Tr- doing our best to kind of shed the metalcore yeah. uh, tag. And we wanted to bring more metal bands, more different kinds of bands, and and not have every band sound the same. Because we had done tours previously with lots of metalcore bands, and it's like, there'd be like three walls of death on the yes. same tour, and it's like, break down, all right, everybody, I want you to kill everyone. It's like, all right, we, we got enough of the killing. Yeah. You know, and you know, and, and just, just in terms of it being a little repetitive you know so so we were into that and we were a diverse band so it probably made more sense to have 
a diverse package. Was know? that on the Constitution of Treason? Yes, that yeah. was like the headline okay. tour. Of yeah, that. yeah, I, I have really fond memories of that. Even though, you know, that was that was one of the tours that I thought fit well for us. Uh, our first actual tour after we did those regional dates with the Lamb of God was with I Hate God. Mm-hmm. That was. Uh, very strange pairing but we learned exactly what not to do what do you mean because they were in the throes of a lot of drug addiction at that point and their tour manager um chris johnson who is now deceased he passed away this past year who i became really good friends with he was just trying to manage that you know from town to town to try to make sure they got their suboxone and stuff luckily you know uh, suboxone it is what you take to get you off of uh, heroin? heroin and stuff oh, like that. Suboxone and, and methadone. And that was something that the whole, that whole band was dealing with at the time? Every, so? every stop we had to, to find it before they could play. Wow. But the, So they were actually in the... They were wanted to get off. Oh, yeah. They were currently trying to get off. But okay. if you take enough suboxone or methadone, then you get high. Yeah. You can easily... And, you know, it was... Uh, and, you know, I hadn't... I don't... You know, I've never taken pills or done coke and rarely ever smoked weed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not my thing. So we were, like, really shell-shocked about yeah. our first tour. I've never experienced anything like that. So even, yeah. you know, that, I guess you, you kind of, that's a very kind of peculiar set of circumstances. Yeah. So, you know, if I look over the whole uh, course of our uh, our history, we've toured so little. It's like we've done so little touring, you know, at that point, EJ was frustrated with us because we would come back and he would be like, hey, let's go out and do three weeks. And our guitar player would be like, well, I got, you know, I need $500 a week in tour support. How, how old were you guys at this time? We got signed when I was 28 and our guitar player, Tony Rohrbaugh, at the time was 30. So we were a little older. Yeah, you were. We were older. You were grownups. He was already married with a house. Yeah. Um, I had a fiance who was just on my ass about the whole thing yeah. like the 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 uh, the timer was set yeah you know and that that contributed greatly to me you know ultimately telling the guys i can't do it no more yeah so i think that's that's so interesting because i feel like the the more common story is closer to my situation that when most bands are really getting their footing they're younger they're probably in their early 20s and that gives you an advantage in building your band in the early years because you don't have as many responsibilities so you can go out for those first couple years and have the expectations that we're not going to make a lot of money yeah and it's not overwhelmingly detrimental to your life but when you enter that phase when you're a little older yeah in a sense it can it can kind of help you because you can be like all right we have to be responsible so let's not do stupid things like Lamb of God, they were a little older when they right. got signed. Machine Head was a little older when they got signed. Five Finger Death Punch was a little older. Yeah. And you can kind of make decisions in a different kind of way. But for, I guess from your guys' perspective, it hindered your flexibility to be able to kind of go full bore. Completely. That- yeah. I mean, there was decisions that we had to make that other bands didn't. Like if, you, if someone lived with their parents yeah. or didn't have children. We had to take those into account, and here we are getting a hundred bucks a night, maybe, and um, so it was just a lot of stress. And then a lot of the issues we had with prosthetic, we brought 
to them. You know, if I ever run into EJ, uh, now Dan Fitzgerald works for Metal Blade, and he was the guy that we had to go between with EJ, and he was putting out the Byzantine fires so EJ wouldn't kill us. But what, so, what, but what, 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 I, what would you describe as a Byzantine fire? <sighs> just just asking for tour support like out the ass even yeah. though we we didn't deserve but what's, it but what's the fire i mean all they could do is say no <laughs> i mean yeah. ultimately or they just got or they just got sick of of they got sick of it of saying like like it, it, did you, you guys didn't have a manager no that was a a very big uh poor decision on mine and ej's part you he, had you had offers yes but he said look you know what I think you know you guys are a little older. Why don't we co-manage you and I? We can co-manage the band, and we can kind of like book it ourselves. Well, that's that a, was a that's a conflict of interest, though. Totally. When your manager is the label, right? Um, to <clears throat> to a certain degree, I know there's some newer deals like um, what was it? The firm. I I don't mm -hmm. want to actually speak out of out of turn on this, but there's there's been many changes in the music industry where uh, you have labels. You know what? people would regard as a uh, 360 deal yep. where the label gets uh, different revenue from other aspects. Now labels are getting into the touring side of things. Right. Uh, so there's the, the business has changed where there's more kind of, as in the music industry, we say cross collateralization. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, but the reason why I say it's a, it's a conflict of interest is that essentially the label has certain priorities that a manager wouldn't necessarily have because the labels uh, income is derived from different elements where, you know, so they might have, you know, just their motivations might be a little different. Yeah. That's, that's no d disrespect to uh, EJ because I don't know what his, right. know, I'd, I'd rather him speak for Correct. his end of things, you know, and I'm, I'm friends with EJ and, you know, and um, I respect him, so I don't want <clears> to <throat> speak out of turn on, on that. But yeah, it can get, it can get difficult. Well, to, yeah, and to, to button it up, you know, it, I, I would love to apologize to EJ now as a 42-year-old man and let them know that, you know, we had the chance, like, we were getting the good shows. Yeah. Uh, we were just a bunch of spoiled West Virginia brats who thought, hey, we need to be able to supplement our income of what we're making at home, and you can't do it. I don't think that's spoiled. I just think you're <clears throat> you're saying, listen, I have a lot of the theories, my own theories on the music industry, mm -hmm. and I think in a lot of ways we get kind of institutionalized to a certain degree to expect nothing or expect to be treated like shit. Right. And in a way... You might say spoiled, but I could also say, well, maybe you just had a certain amount of self-respect, yeah. and you you weren't willing to live like a homeless person <laughs> for the just for the art or yeah. for, or do it for the spirit <clears throat> of rock and roll. And I I can't really say which way is better, or, yeah. you know. And I because I listen, I love that other spirit of saying, you know what, man, we're just doing it because we love it, and yeah. and yada yada yada. I don't really know. I don't know. I don't I don't know what to say about that, but I think you can go either way. I I. Uh Looking back on it, uh, you know, and we had five years we were broken up, and I've even now I still look back and analyze like what did we do wrong and stuff. I wouldn't change any of it to yeah. tell you the truth. The 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 divorces that we've went through and the band firings and all that stuff. I think every one of those pieces had to fall into the puzzle for me to be here at this point um, with a second chance at this first impression. Yeah. So, you know, those hardships. I I draw from them, you know, um, but at the end of the day, 
it's all gravy <laughs> every bit of this is all gravy i'm sitting in hollywood talking to you yeah you know so so you guys but no. you guys eventually you put it down for we a did. minute what was that around 2008 after the it uh, was uh, oblivion beckons came yeah out? yeah we did 2004 fundamental component right within a year we turned around and put out the and they shall take up serpents which is my favorite prosthetic era release that we done yeah and then it took us two years to do oblivion beckons uh we had done two tours in uk uh between that time and they were both the first one was all right the second one was a financial disaster and it should have never happened and we came back with this bad taste in our mouth that maybe we don't know what the hell we're doing so at that point we were writing music for the third album and going out and do regional shows and that's where uh my fiance at the time had pretty much put down the gauntlet and she said look i've been waiting years we we rent a house we have no kids and i don't have a ring so you're gonna have to shit or get off the pot so i you know i made a decision to kind of pull back from the band and it was uh it was a a bad time because <laughs> we hadn't finished recording the album yet yeah so we did a lot of Fleetwood Mac rumors to where Tony would go in and record his stuff and I'd wait till he'd leave and I'd go in they'd have to fill me in, you know, what we're doing. The album reflected it. So do you, just kind of on a, on a life thing, does that, do, do, are you regretful about that decision? To Yeah, I mean, if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have had my first daughter, Mallory, which is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. But. I think I could have made them both work. Yeah, I was just under a lot of intense pressure at that time, thinking, because no one from back home had ever made it work. There's not many bands from West Virginia that's ever made it work. Yeah. So I didn't have anybody to talk to to figure out how do I make this work, guys. So well, I listen. I don't. I don't think that's easy. And I think so many people in bands, especially struggling bands, have had that situation. Like I remember so many guys in Jersey that same thing it's mm -hmm. like they have a woman she's ready to make you know they want to move forward they want right. to get a house they want to <clears> have children they and it's they, they give that ultimatum to yeah. either the band or me yep. and and i've seen and usually i feel like a, a lot of men especially if the band's not taking off or they, they can't necessarily rely on it right financially they're going <clears> to <throat> tend to uh you know go and do uh, take a more traditional path yeah I mean, we were on the third album, and we already knew we weren't going to re-sign. And I think, you know, Prosthetic was at that point, like, we're not going to be putting a lot of money behind this. We're not going to re-sign you. Yeah. So I, we played, we drove to, where's James Madison University? Virginia or Pennsylvania? I have no idea. <laughs> we drove, they had, they had a really good college metal station, and we drove there to play a show, and that's when I decided to tell the guys that, I can't do any tour anymore. It's yeah. going to have to just be local band status stuff. The problem was is that Tony, Tony's wife had just divorced him, uh, citing problems because he was focused on the band too much. So he was dealing with this, this big life change. And he was like, you know what? I'm all in. Let's do it. I'm all in. So here we are driving to James Madison, and I'm like, hey, guys. I think, you know, my wife and I, we've decided to focus more on my family. And he flipped his shit. Now, did you, like, did you guys have a kid at this time? or No. Okay. No, we were just engaged. Okay. Um, and he was like, how dare you? 
I my I just lost my family for this fucking band, and now you're telling me you're pulling out. You yeah. know, he was like, "Fuck you," <laughs> um, and if this is what's going to happen, we're quitting, we're breaking it up. You know, and for the whole trip, about five or six hours, our manager at the time, Anthony Lewis, uh, was yelling at me. Our bass player, Skip, yelling at me. Everybody yelling at me. Wolf wasn't yelling at me. He was kind of just sitting there. So I was like, God, okay, this is the end of that. But then on the, you know, a couple hours later, Wolf was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm kind of glad you did that because I got my girlfriend knocked up. So thanks. Yeah. I'm like, stand up. Didn't, didn't have you me. back at all. <laughs> Let you take the heat. Yeah, but it's all right. You know, me and Wolf are homeboys, so I, I, I completely understood. So... That was at that at that point we had decided we're done. Let's give them the album. Let's finish it, and then we handed the album to them. It's disjointed at best. It's too long. There's 13 songs on it. Everybody wanted their ideas on. Yeah. Nobody would discuss what trimming the fat. So we handed it to them, and then we broke up. Uh, we told Blabbermouth we were breaking up the day after the album came out, which I think EJ lost probably 20 20 grand maybe. I mean, I, that's another thing I feel really, yeah, really bad about. As a businessman now, I'm like, I would have kicked kicked my ass. Well, that's I think so <clears throat> many people on the musician side of it never fail to kind of see that, especially someone like EJ. You know, he's not, you know, he's not Virgin Records or something. He's not, right. he's not Warner Brothers, um, and they. This is why uh, record deals are structured the way they are, where. Uh, much of the gains mm -hmm. are heavily favored on the label side because the probability that when a label signs a band that the band will break up, that the record will be a failure, are so dramatically higher than that it will be a success mm -hmm. that it has to be structured that way because they, they're they not just signing you. They're putting that against everything they sign. Right. So more than likely they sign 10 bands, seven of those bands are going to fail. Yep. Uh, and so it's only once you're proven that you can get a deal that is more fit in your favor. Yeah. Uh, so this and these these are the stories, and even you at least you have some modicum of of uh, you know you feel bad about that, and you 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 you're empathetic. You know, yeah. Think, which is which is rare. Is it? <laughs> I think I think That's so. Good. I think in a lot of ways, I think a lot of people are <clears throat> are generally looking for their end of things. They're like, what's how's it going to work for me? I right. don't really care. And you know, I think. In many ways, the best business nerds within the music industry are, are should be mutually beneficial. Yes, and and works well, and and no one's fucking this person. Oh, I'm trying to screw you over. It should everyone should do well. Yeah, I mean, if that was the end of my musical career, I could have easily just turned it around and and said they screwed everything up. Yeah. It would have been easier to live with. But that's but usually the story. The but that's usually the story you hear. Yeah, right. It is. Is, it that, is. is that the label screwed us? They did this. And listen, the, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It, de it definitely does. But there's also, in a, sometimes it's also how you frame it. Right. Like how are, how am I looking? At, <clears> I can definitely frame this in a way where we're getting screwed, and I can frame it in a way where it's you know people are ultimately looking out for their best interests, and yeah. you know you have to kind of understand that. I mean, I, I deal with one band with four other band members you know and sometimes it's trying but i've got really good human beings in my band and they take it seriously i couldn't imagine being in the label to where you have to deal with 13 or 14 bands yeah. broken up into five members that you know so you know i used all that as a springboard to figure out after five more years of sitting around on my butt how can i get this back on to the right track you know yeah so you guys did some 
You did a re you reunited a few years later. Did some local stuff, right? We did some reunion shows, trying to see if Tony would be interested in doing it again. You know, and we did the shows, and they they all sold out, and everything was great. But it just wasn't it wasn't there yet. There was there was some between me and Tony. It was like a divorce. Yeah. You know, like you take the house, I take the dog. You know, and he didn't want to talk to me, but it, it, he ended up having a heart attack. Um, oh shit. Yeah. Tony used to smoke a lot, like he was packing half a day. And he also used to like to run on a treadmill. So he would smoke and then run and smoke, and he ended up having a mild heart attack um, around 2012, 11. So I, re I reached out to him and, and said, hey, man, I hope you're doing well. I love you. you know? And that kind of brought everything back together. So 2012, we decided to uh, just reform as a local band rehearse and see what we come up with and we had all the the music you know for the fourth album within like two or three months yeah the, the self-titled so you, yeah. what did you guys use to what service did you use we on that one we used kickstarter and how did you how did you like that whole process it was it was nice um kickstarter was the bigger one at that time and uh, we got more foot traffic going through them. The only deal, the only thing that I didn't really like about Kickstarter was I kind of had to do it all myself. Yeah, yeah, you're pretty, you're on, you're on your own. Yeah, and the next one we did, which was two, two releases to resolve, we did it with Pledge Music, and they assigned me a guy that helped me. Mm -hmm. So he would text me or call me and be like, "Hey, OJ, you haven't posted in three or four days," and that was fantastic. That I was, I, I'm a real big fan of pledge music they take a little bit more cut but they they do out. but they help on the management side and when you're a struggling band trying to get your feet again and you're out there doing day jobs and doing this i would rather pay somebody to do that stuff for me so that that record didn't end up coming out on metal blade or no nope. we uh, we self-released two um and the second one two releases to resolve which we did in i think 2015 um let me backtrack the fourth album the self-titled we hired the syndicate yeah. on a really low budget just to do a small college pr push that worked really well but the second time come around i said you know what i'm gonna spend every fucking dollar we got mm -hmm. we, we end up spending thirty thousand dollars on an independent release most of it on press and that was all done through the crowdfund no um crowdfund i think we raised 13 the rest of it was credit cards and i took loans from my mom really so yeah. what so what i still owe my mom for to release to resolve i've really? got it down to nine grand now wow <laughs> so but what are right, so what's the impetus on on taking a, a risk that large because you you literally thought you were going to get it back on record sales or no i i didn't really care uh, if we <laughs> if we uh, hit the black i i knew at that point I had written some demoed stuff. I knew at that point that uh, I had more gas left in the tank, mm -hmm. and I knew how happy I was at that point because um, around 2013, my wife divorced me, um, and uh, you know, I went through a really dark period, and that was when I was writing music for to release to resolve, mm -hmm. and that's where the album title comes from we released each other and resolved our issues because mm -hmm. now me and her are great friends that's awesome great friends she's great friends with my current girlfriend we co-parent um so and it also was a tie-in to releasing tony from mm -hmm. the band 
Skip left or a bass player. Like it was an all new band except me and Matt Wolf. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. It is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Yeah! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. So I was like, guys, I'm just, let's throw everything against the wall and see how it sticks because we've always been so conservative, trying not to spend anything. It never fucking worked for us. So we went 30 grand deep and ended up working because Syndicate got us number one on CMJ. Mm-hmm. We were, were only the second unsigned band to ever do that behind Clutch's Earth Rocker. And then on a serious uh, liquid metal, we got to number one, and that was when Lamb of God and Slayer was on there. Mm-hmm. So things things were validated from that money. So I, I really don't care if, if we got it back because well, it helped. No, I think that's super interesting because after I left, God forbid, you know, I started doing a, a new band. Mm-hmm. And then you, you start to, you know, always being in the label system and having resources. And then when you have to start putting your own money into it it becomes this real serious question of like yeah is what do you do you know yeah. do, do you put a bunch of money in do you take these risks and it's it's so fascinating to hear when someone actually goes and and, and puts it in but that eventually that turned into the the metal blade it deal. got us it got us the deal with the uh, with metal blade um once we started talking to mr slagle um he he told me on the phone he said I am signing you guys based on the strength of your two independent releases. He yeah. said, I, I don't really know much about the prosthetic stuff. He said, what you've been putting out, if you can give me that, and we will give you the Metal Blade marketing arm, I think you might be able to have a career in your 40s and 50s. And, and I was like, well, let's let's try that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, how, so how long has the record been out? 
cicada tree? I think it's uh, about like two months now. Two months now. And how are you feeling about everything with the whole way the records come out and the I, push? I feel really, really good. Yeah. Um, we actually recorded it a ways back, and they shelved it for five months because we didn't have any tour offers. Yeah. Uh, but then we ended up landing Dan Rosenblum as our booking agent, and then we you know promptly got this. So they pushed it back to where it'd be closer to the segregated. Shout out to tour. Dan. Yep. Got to get him on the show. Yeah, he was there last night. He works in my neighborhood, so I see him all the time. He is so uh, he's so upbeat. Like, he's the best. Through text, I thought I was like, man, this guy's a shit ass. He just sends one or two words, and he talked my ear off last night. I don't know how many white guy high fives we did, but <laughs> there had to <laughs> been twenty in there. There should be a cover band called White Guy High Five. <laughs> white guy see. high five. You just. But just, uh, just coined here. Dan is very uh, important uh, to us, and Metal Blade is is super important. And I feel like the cogs have kind of fell in the right place. I know it's taken us 17 years, but when Brian Slagle tells us, I think I think you right now you're better than you ever have been. And he told me he said I wouldn't tell that to a lot of bands who's got five albums out. By that time, your your star is already burned. Yeah, it's it's not easy, and it's interesting because I think especially in like the thrash metal world, we have that you we had this huge resurgence of bands like Testament, Exodus, mm -hmm. Overkill, Creator, so late into their career, putting out some of the most vital material of their career and the most inspired. So I think. It's been proven, even like the new Metallica record, like that. I, I think it's fucking amazing, and and it sounds alive to me. It sounds, they sound connected, they sound invigorated, and there is proof there that even though we think about metal as as a young man's game, uh, if you're doing it from a place of of passion, mm -hmm. from a place of good and pure in, intention, you know that there there is an audience for it, and and bands can have a career. You yeah, know? and I in the end, I, I agree with him. I think you know the stuff you're doing on the new record, and and even the the, the previous couple records is is just as inspired or better than anything you've Thank ever you. done. Thank you. Uh, can I ask you actually a little bit about the uh, the vocal shifts you've done? Because you started out, you said originally you were so you were doing singing and stuff on the all well, the demos, and then you just went straight screaming and yeah, uh, at the first first onset when we were doing demos uh, we had some songs where i sang but my my singing voice was really bad so i think that's why we kicked those off because yeah. I, I was pitchy at best <laughs> you know and i had no vocal training and tony had such a great ear he's like man the idea is there but you can't really pull it off so let's you can you can do the shouty stuff really well so yeah. that's what we focused on when i was earlier but then on the mid record you started doing this almost like like pitched yell kind yeah. of thing shouting in key yeah and then you've kind of gone back to more like the straight scream but then singing mm -hmm. like which i kind of like that a little more right. than the like than that the kind of pitched yell thing yeah so that just it's just kind of experimentation the or? pitched yell thing kind of came from my my favorite uh heavy metal vocalist of all time is kyle thomas from exhorter yeah and he is the master of shouting in key yeah he's badass with, with the power and the soul so I started trying to do that. Like, I, I, in order for this band to succeed, I have to just be a, a chameleon. I have to mimic because my talking voice and is so bad. What are you talking about? You have that sweet southern charm. Well, that's baby. the thing. I, it, you might. It might be great to converse, but no one wants to hear that in a metal song. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. Maybe. So I have you to could listen. be the first. I could be the first. I'm not going to try that yet. <laughs> I have to listen to people like Testament or Pantera or Opeth and mimic that. And and I've I've kind of got to the point where I can do that effectively. Uh, but earlier it was just kind of more of a one or two dimensional thing. The second and the third album is when I added the shouting and key. Uh, and now I've I've developed my singing voice a little more through vocal training and stopped smoking and taking care of myself mm-hmm. to where now I've added the singing back in. And also I think it's going to um, uh, elongate our career. Yeah. Because if, if I'm up there barking for an hour and a half, I'm going to blow my voice out. Yeah. So. I can but, imagine it. Imagine it takes its takes its toll. I'm always I'm fascinated by extreme it, metal vocals because I can't scream. Yeah. And I can't and I, I just especially as bands get older, I'm like you could like someone like Jamie Joster, you're like Oh my god. They yeah. you know, they play for an hour and a half and he's just they're playing their are twenty five songs, you're like and they're doing it every night and you're like, Man, it's gotta you know, you have to be of a certain mindset or even like Cannibal Corpse. Like yeah. they what do you play same thing, like a two hour and a half, two hours yes. just killing it and like I guess we're going to find out if 70 and 80-year-old men can right. do extreme vocals. I think, uh, I think when, if, you're, if your vocal style is one direction, like if you, you got one, one toast and you butter that one way, mm-hmm. I think you could probably do it a little longer. Maybe your vocal folds get used to that. Yeah. But I've noticed it, trying to move between different styles of singing, you've got to use different vocal folds. And if you've got inflammation in one thing, your register will change. I've I've I got laryngitis not too long ago because of the weather change back home, and I was sick to my stomach all this last month because I was thinking I can't sing right now. Yeah. And I've got this biggest tour of my life, you know, with one of my favorite bands on earth, and I can't sing. Um, so it's been really frustrating. But now I've got almost full vocal command. I'm about eighty percent right now. We played the show last week with Baroness and Fit for an Autopsy in Pittsburgh. And I had a nurse came up and uh, he gave me a steroid shot in the ass and then gave me a needle full of steroids just in case my, vo- my voice goes to shit on this and tour. And it works? Immediately. Like so, it, so basically saying steroids are good and we should all be on steroids? Steroids are good. All right. I, and my, uh, my, uh, I flipped over the merch table though. I was a little angry. Really? No. Oh, okay. I'm no, these are these are like prednisone steroids. It's not anabolic. It's just, not. Yeah. I'm just saying, man. I wanna I wanna be super <laughs> like you and just get better. I, there I, we go. Know. All right. But kick. my balls got really big. So did that really? Ha- did that actually happen? <laughs> no. It's no flipping. No big balls. All right. You're just lying. The in, only right? thing that happened was it went directly to the inflammation on my vocal cords and allowed me to get through that show. And then we had four days off, and mm. now I'm now I'm fine. Right so, on. But yeah, the, the vocal shifts, um, it's it's a bone of contention for me all the time. But I, I, you know, I have to do it. It makes me happy. That's that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm not gonna keep you too long. You have to get back inside and okay. uh, rock a, a heavy metal concert. Before we go, I want to talk a bit about West Virginia. Okay. Because it's been this, in a sense, I, I feel like it's it's become you know, almost politicized, like people hold it up like a, um, you know, the, 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 the rust belt and the coal yes. miners, it's like become this, uh, this totem <clears throat> that people either u- use for their agendas. Yeah. And like, what is- You saw President Trump do that. Exactly. He well, went straight there, put a coal mine hat on, did this digging thing like people actually dig coal, you know? <laughs> 
and you saw thousands of West Virginians behind him saying, "I will, I will vote for you yeah. based on that." Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then also Hillary Clinton got in trouble for saying, "We're going to put a lot of coal miners out of business." Right, and, and right. So, so where, whichever, whichever way you are, but just coming, coming mm-hmm. up. So, did you grow up in like? The city in Western, or did you grow up like, kind of more on the like in the outskirts in the rural area? It was a rural. I grew up. My town has like uh, about twelve hundred people. Yeah. So, and the city, the capital of West Virginia is Charleston, and it has a whopping fifty thousand people. But That's the biggest city. Charleston is it a? It's a college town. It is not. I mean, there's a University of Charleston. The college towns in West Virginia is Morgantown, where yeah. West Virginia University's from, yeah. and Huntington, which is Marshall. When Randy is, Moss went. Now, is there kind of a, a different tenor in the more kind of college areas, or is, or is West is you know I, I you know just when you're not in a mm-hmm. place, you know we have I feel like like I said these these ideas of a place become distorted yeah. and stereotyped. So, is there a diversity of opinions in <clears throat> in these areas, or is yeah. it, or is because you know I don't know. It's just it's it's so fascinating. Yeah, to me. Uh, West Virginia. I mean, we're a northern state. You yeah. know, we succeeded from Virginia, but the people in the south part of West Virginia, where I'm from, they still, they still gravitate towards the southern way of thinking, which yeah. is odd to me. But the northern part of why West is, Virginia, why is it odd to you? Because we're not a southern state. Yeah, and, but, um, to, but to me, Virginia and down is the, right. the, the, those people would say, well, we're the south. Right. There's there's a line called the Mason Dixon line, and it separates the north and the south area and you know the northern part which is morgantown or martinsburg they're it's a little more progressive yeah but no matter where you go in west virginia you can find a holler with with a trailer and a trampoline and a satellite <laughs> hold dish. on just just real quick <laughs> define holler for for those that, that don't know okay including me okay a holler is a uh, is a road that uh, goes up in between two steep mountains and that's where people live there's hardly no okay. one. No so one it's like on a se- it's almost like a secret path. It is. Yeah, I have friends that come to West Virginia and they can get claustrophobic because everything is between mountains. Yeah, like here is wide open, there it's completely closed. So now I grew up in the southern portion of West Virginia, um, so like an hour and a half south of Charleston, which is the capital, and um, it is not a heavy metal area at all, but when my mom and dad got divorced when I was 13, my mom felt bad for me, and she had just sold a flower shop, and she's like, I need a new business, and she saw me getting into Metallica and all this. So my mom went and bought real estate and opened up a tape and record store, and she would allow Are me- Are you serious? She allowed me and my stepdad to pick all the music, so we would just, we filled it with like, Forbidden and Exhorter and Pantera, and she promptly went out of business like a year later because no one bought that stuff. Yeah, you guys, but, we should, they shouldn't have listened. They shouldn't have asked you. They should. <laughs> no, no, it was a bad business move. But that that kick started, you know, this this thing for me, you know, the heavy metal thing. So uh, I gotta give shout out to moms for wow, taking that's, the hit. That's that's amazing. <clears throat> but no, but it just it just makes me. I just wanted to kind of know from someone who's from that area if, like I said, this whole kind of idea of like the the kind of working class resentment and mm-hmm. all this the the changing economy like is this is this something you've felt or like or you felt like has been um, communicated like or just a general sentiment within your community? 
Well, it's, or is it's, it overblown? That's what I'm saying. Is, are, are these, or is this um, narrative being exploited? Well, it's hard because I'm so close to the forest to see the trees. Oh, you, so you feel like you don't have a good... Uh, not uh, a good, no, because when you go back home, it's kind of really isolated. Yeah. You know, West Virginia always feels like it's them against everybody else for some reason. <laughs> you know, which... Forever the underdog. Puts them on a bad island. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, there's so there's a lot of shifting going on back home with the environment. Yeah. And West Virginia is a coal extraction state. Like yeah. that is, if we didn't have coal, we wouldn't have electricity. I wouldn't have went to college because my dad's a coal miner and paid for my college degree. But, you know, there's a lot of shifting going on and it needs to happen because people back home are really hurting, really yeah. starving. But that's what I'm talking about. Like that's, yeah. that's the stuff. So, so it's it, real. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's, that's what I, not that I want to hear that, but I, I, I want to hear it from Validated. someone like you who actually knows and not just this uh yeah. you know some reporter going there we're gonna go to the rust belt and yes. check in with the with the people no there's some there's some hardship going on and a lot of it has to do with that and it also has to do with education because west virginia is always under budget and every time it comes down to look at the budget they always cut teachers they always cut education yeah. they always cut arts yeah um and then somehow that ends up feeding the drug scene yeah so we have such a bad pill problem and now it's uh, meth, and now it's starting to get heroin because it's starting to traffic from Detroit down there. Yeah. Um, so it's really, really bad time. But uh, you know, there's an end to, there's an end to everything. You know, we just got to get the right people in place there to make this shift. So, but it's hard to tell a coal miner who pulls down $150,000 a year. That's a lot of money. That we're going to shut down your coal mine when they have a 10th grade education yeah they will they will fucking kill you over that <laughs> and I, can, I understand it so it's rough. luckily my family almost all my uncles and my father was coal miners my grandfather laid track in the mines not one of my cousins or my brothers went in the coal mines so my parents and uncles feel really uh, proud that they was able to transition our family out of that and send yeah. everybody to college or arts. So yeah, well, I, well, I think we're we're <clears throat> at this fulcrum in society where you know it's I always I always use this analogy of like at one point everyone was riding horses. The next thing you know, people yeah. were driving cars, and I'm sure there were plenty of towns and parts of the country where that was their main business was making horseshoes and making saddles and yeah. and uh breeding and things th things like that and eventually you're looking around and you're like wow there's a lot of cars right around in, in town and and we all have to be forward thinking because uh the rate th the thing about change is that it's actually accelerating exponentially mm -hmm. so things are changing quicker right so things don't last as as long so there'll be a trend like even the music industry right we've seen it right it's like oh yeah. the cd lasted this amount of time and the tape lasted this time and even the mp3 they're saying is gonna eventually that's gonna get winded down it's just gonna be streaming and so we're on just from the music angle we're always trying to look at the next thing and not get kind of um become obsolete yeah with, with that and i think it's uh <clears throat> there's always some blowback and collateral damage and just creative destruction when the new thing comes around and ultimately we're usually 
in a better place, but it, it, yeah. it but people do get hurt. You, you know? got to go through a, a hard transition period, and the problem is, I think something like that, like if we're going to move away from uh, coal production to stuff that's cleaner, what's, what's already happening? It's not. <clears> it it's, is. It's, it's, it's you know diminished. It's just not happening home. Yeah. And one of the reasons is because uh, the politicians are so damn scared to push for that because they know they'll get voted out. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we get stuck in this mire of doing the same thing over and over, and we're always going to be. La- Unfortunately, we're going to be last. Well, the thing is, ultimately, things like that. It's the corporations are going to do ultimately what's in their best interest. So things will, you know, politicians can kind of do their end and say what they're going to say, but you know, things are just going to happen, ju- just happen. But we also don't want to be in that situation, like where, like you know, the only reason why, like, it costs more to make a penny than a penny's worth. But the only that. reason pennies are still in circulation is because the copper um, lobbyists basically so someone's like well there's this town somewhere where they make <laughs> copper and we can't you know so it's basically they have like a job yeah. that it doesn't it doesn't it's it's inefficient but you can make an argument for all of that it's, wow. it's like kind of this thing where like well we need jobs but we don't need the thing yeah. that they're making but if we you know what I'm saying it's like this that's a cool analogy I, I didn't know that fact that pennies were probably cost more than they're a penny it's super weird it is super weird there's there's all little <laughs> little things like that but you know through you know i don't know it's very fascinating but brother thank you so much for coming well, on hey, the show I, I would hate to have to add more to this but oh we're gonna all right. i would we're i want to talk over. about one facet sure about this tour with sacred rock okay and my love for sacred rock i have a story i want to to tell, tell and tell it's, the story it's it involves my me getting into my first band in high school and it's tied into this and uh, it will give a good nice loop okay okay so i had a group of guys back in in logan county west virginia and we were all just everybody called us skate fags yeah because oh. we 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 were skating and the jocks were and, like, and sucking a lot of dicks yeah sucking a lot of dicks so we yeah so in between the dick sucking we would <laughs> we would skate and uh <clears throat> we wanted to form a band so everybody picked their positions and the only thing left was bass and vocals and it was down to me and my buddy james and neither of us wanted to be vocalists i didn't know how to play anything you know i'd strum a little bit so they were like okay well you're gonna have to have a bass off and i was like okay i didn't have a bass you know and you're in southern west virginia there's no left-handed bases my mom just bought a, a refrigerator so i had a cardboard box so I cut a base out of cardboard and I drew frets and I put strings on it and I had one of my skater fag buddies go and steal me and Justice for All Wolf Marshall tab. So for about two or three weeks. Justice we- for All, the album with no bass And on Justice it. for All, yeah. <laughs> so for about two or three weeks, I learned uh, To Live Is To Die and Harvester of Sorrow on this cardboard base until neck just started folding and stuff. So there were actual strings on it. It was shoestrings. Shoestrings. Yeah, that okay. I tightened down. That's probably why it's folding. Okay. So but you uh, weren't really learning bass, but you were I was, learning the concept. I was of learning bass. the concept where my fingers went at the time. Okay. Because my mom had said, I will buy you a bass here in a couple of weeks if you can just hold on. I was well, like, I, I got a I got a bass off that coming is, up. That's dedication right Yeah. There. So we had the little bass off the other guy had a bass and you know, he tried and he sucked. And I flipped his bass over upside down and was able to play those songs. They were like, God, dog. Okay, you're in. So then my mom bought me the bass, and the first person I molded my style after was Phil Rind, because from Sacred Rock. From Sacred Rock, because I had ignorance and I had American Way, 
and I thought he was the just the bee's knees, you know, because he sang and played together. Our singer quit showing up, so I had to start singing. So here, only six months in to learn how to play the cardboard bass, I was singing and playing, and Phil Ryan was the guy I was looking at. The other guy was uh, Brad Divens from Wrathchild America. So, and so that was 20, 20 two years ago, 23. And now here I am sitting in Hollywood talking to my buddy Doc, opening up for Sacred Reich. So don't give up, kids. Don't ever give up, even if you have to play a cardboard bass. That's a great story. Thank you for letting me share that. Hell yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, brother. No problem. And uh, thank you guys for listening. This has been the X-Man, Doc Coyle, with my man OJ. Kicking it.
So that was the song Trap Jaw from the latest Byzantine album, The Cicada Tree, available on Metal Blade Records. I hope you guys liked that song. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I thought I thought that was really awesome. Um, but dude, I, I'm telling you, he does have just that sweet Southern voice, man. Boy, I wish I had that, you know. Either that or, or, or I could speak like Keith, Keith David. You guys know who that is. He was in The Thing and, uh, you know, uh, what was that? Something about Mary, you know. Yes, her boyfriend, Woogie. How'd you get the beans above the Franks? And he was also in a uh, movie, uh, Requiem for a Dream. You know, Maid Marion. Yes. Ass to ass. I know it's pretty, but I didn't put it out for air. Anyway. I think I just did a really, really bad Keith David impression, so I'm going to stop doing that. Anyway, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I might put out another show this week. I don't know. We'll see We'll see how, how I feel because I, I feel bad about going a couple weeks between programs here, but I've got some great episodes coming up, um, and, uh, you know, I love you guys. This is, this, is, this is good stuff. You guys have a great week. Mamba out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians. Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.